you are listening to Hello Movies, a podcast for people who love going to the movies. I'm your host, Lana Gay. Sit back and enjoy the show as we find out why Pokemon Detective Pikachu isn't just for the kids. There's trivia about upcoming movie remakes, including a phony for you to suss out. We'll solve the age-old problem of how to schedule that bathroom break during a movie. And we catch up with Tanner Zipchin about all the latest movies on his radar. But first, let's talk about the new movie, Longshot. It's about Fred Flarsky, played by Seth Rogen. Fred reunites with his first crush and former babysitter, Charlotte Field, played by Charlize Theron. Charlotte is America's Secretary of State and is preparing to run for president. She hires Fred, a recently fired journalist, to write speeches for her. The sparks fly, but the world around them sure doesn't make a relationship easy. The movie was written by Dan Sterling and Liz Hanna. Dan has written for The Office, Girls, and the Seth Rogen-James Franco movie, The Interview. Liz was nominated for a Golden Globe for her first feature film, The Post, starring Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. Hello to you both. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I want to start off, Dan, the original story for Longshot, it came from you, correct? Yes. And many, many drafts ago, uh, it was a spec. Now, how did the collaboration, Liz, how did that happen between you and Dan? I had worked for Charlize at her production company for about four years before I left to write full time. Charlize and Beth Kono, who's also a producer on the film, reached out and asked if I would be interested in collaborating with Dan on the script. It was really a wonderfully collaborative process in trying to figure out how to, A, reinvent this romantic comedy idea in 2019 and have a conversation about politics in a way that you don't often get to have. It's Pretty Woman, but she's Richard Gere and you're Julia Roberts. You got destiny on your side. Do you think the comparison to Pretty Woman is fitting? I think that was also just an opportunity for us to put a little note in of a movie that we all loved so much and were so inspired by. There's no way to make a romantic comedy without people bringing up films like Pretty Woman or Notting Hill or The American President. And I think for us, that was a way of kind of being like, we see you. It's interesting because I feel like when I want to escape from a political dumpster fire, I go to the movies to watch a rom-com. And you guys are like, you know what? Let's just bring politics right into it. How challenging was it? to figure out what you wanted to say about the state of things today. At the time, in 2017, and as of now, gender politics are a big part of our conversation and should be. Earlier drafts of this script, it was more directly political. And as production neared, uh, Charlize in particular pointed out that, you know, maybe this uh, movie, if we really want to get a lot of people to see it, doesn't need to be in the business of being particularly preachy. And it was a real mission to try to figure out how to comment and also not be didactic and not have the movie's purpose be to get into the business of advocacy. Charlotte, I would like to endorse you to be the next president of the United States. Oh my God. You've been a great secretary. Of state. Which state again? All of them. Can you set the stage when it comes to your, you know, your writer's room? Where, where were you and what did it look like? We were in Seth's apartment in the East Village for two weeks, and it was, you know, every day on his couch with Jonathan Levine, our director. I'd never worked like that before, where it was so collaborative, you know, where you're literally writing 
as you're speaking and you're hashing things out as it's going. You know, the Apple TV is up and you have the script up there and everybody can see what you're writing as you're writing it, which for me, where I generally like think about a piece of dialogue for about an hour and a half before I commit to it, having to put it up there and then be judged instantly was a real trial by fire. That's more of the TV sitcom model. That's my background. So with Seth uh, on the previous movie that we did, it was it was that same sort of process. It's interesting because, you know, Dan, you have a history with Seth and Liz, you worked for Charlize's production company. But how early in this process of putting this film together did you see both of those people in these, these roles? Uh, once I started working with Seth and throughout my career, now whenever I write anything, usually it's for him, which is scary because you need other people. He's a very busy guy, but he's sort of a for me, like the the best kind of every man. You know, I've known Charlize now for almost 10 years. And I think the thing that was really exciting for me is that this is just not a role she often plays. It is something that I think is actually very close to her is this very strong, well-respected woman who is a human and does have a vulnerable side. And at the same time, Having known her for so long, she's so deadly funny. She's one of the funniest people I know, and she doesn't often get a chance to show that side. What's your favorite sexual position? Normal, front-facing <laughs> normal. What kind of question That's is that? That's all it took. Look at you. Uh, what, what's your favorite sexual position? Don't be gross, Fred. I like the fact that the story really feels as though it's coming from both Fred and Charlotte's perspective. So is that a reflection in the way that you two collaborated as writers? I think it's a reflection of uh, our collaboration. I also think it's a reflection of Seth and Charlize. They're both incredibly strong, smart advocates for smart filmmaking. Uh, Just from a more personal perspective, one of the things that changed a little bit about Charlotte, Charlize's character, after Liz came on is that I think that she was a little bit more like me slightly less confident, a little bit more self-effacing and sort of agonizing over things more. And But the reality of somebody who would be in Charlie's position is that they would be a little bit more like who I think Liz is. If Liz does agonize, she manages to do it somewhat privately and puts a very confident foot forward. I paid him very good money to say those <laughs> things about me. You can't see it, but I'm actually on Venmo sending him money right now. Obviously, you guys complement each other very well and think so highly of each other. It's an interesting and vulnerable place to have something you've held on to for a very significant amount of time and then also welcome someone new to co-create or shape your idea. Uh, when was it, Dan, when you knew you and Liz clicked? I, I will tell you that when I first got the call about Liz, I didn't, I didn't know anything about The Post because they hadn't, I don't think they'd even started shooting it yet. Uh, but I saw, you know, Liz's original draft of it and read like 10 pages of it. And I was like, oh my God, we have to make sure this is the person. You go through that cycle of at first being intimidated and slightly jealous by somebody else's talent. At least that's my usual reaction. And then you're like, oh, right, but this is a movie that we've got to get made. We need to get, you know, the best person on it. So I was pretty on board before we'd even spoken. It was really such a joy to read the script and be like, well, I can come help, but there is a movie here. It was a film where I saw so many of my relationships. I also formerly dated a secretary of state. Uh, so that's something right, Dan and course, I bonded yeah. over, you know, on our first meeting. I think you dated Colin Powell though, right, Dan? Technically it was just a one night stand, but yes. <laughs> oh, got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, I started working on this movie in 
August and then went on and got married in November. And I were talking about the other day, it's like when you are planning a wedding, which is kind of the worst thing you could ever do to somebody you love, you are kind of reminding yourself every day why they picked you and why you picked them because it's slightly traumatic. And then you come out of it and you're married. And I think the best thing that you realize is that you married your best friend and you married somebody who made you a better person and hopefully you make a better person. And I can definitely see some of that in Longshot is I can see so many of the reasons that I fell in love with my husband are because he's the one who will call me on my shit and he's the one who will get me drunk if you know I have a bad day. Like This is kind of a little bit of our love story. So it's really nice. The Hustle, starring Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson, that hits theaters next week, which got me thinking about remakes, because The Hustle is actually a remake of a remake. Everyone's talking about how it's the updated version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Remember that one starring Steve Martin and Michael Caine? But that movie was a remake of Bedtime Story, which came out back in 1964 and starred Marlon Brando and the very debonair David Niven. So here's a fun fact. David Bowie and Mick Jagger were considering re making bedtime story together, complete with a song for Mick to sing. But, you know, sadly, that never happened. Doesn't it kind of seem like we're in a remake renaissance right now? Everyone's still riding high on A Star is Born with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, which was actually that movie's fourth incarnation. Uh, And there are some new and very high-profile remakes coming your way. You'll be getting a live-action version of The Lion King, but also live-action versions of Aladdin and Mulan, a rebooted Charlie's Angels, and a new Clueless. I don't get it. Did my hair get flat? Did I stumble into some bad lighting? Which itself is a modern take on Jane Austen's Emma. So remakes are the theme for today's trivia question. So I'll list out four movies. Three of them have remakes on the way. One does not. So your odds are pretty good. Can you guess which one is the phony? All right, here they are. One, Little Shop of Horrors. Two, Showgirls. What are you going to Vegas for? You going to win? I'm going to dance. Three, Masters of the Universe. You know, the one with He-Man. By the power of Grayskull. Uh, And four, Sister Act. There are three vows every nun must accept. The vow of poverty, Mm -hmm. the vow of obedience, Mm -hmm. and the vow of chastity. I am out of here. You'll find out which one is the fake a little bit later on. Did you grow up with Pokemon? A lot of people did. I remember selling the cards when I worked at a comic book store. Uh, But since the worldwide phenomenon known as Pokemon arrived in 1996, there have been, wait for it, 21 animated feature films, over a thousand episodes of animated TV, more than a hundred video games, tons of books, comics, toys, products, and soundtracks. Not to mention the incredibly addictive Pokemon Go. And now it's time for the very first live action movie. Pokemon Detective Pikachu comes out next week and it stars Justice Smith as Tim, a kid who teams up with Detective Pikachu to find his missing dad. The movie takes place in Rhyme City, where people and Pokemon live together in adorable harmony. And even though it's rated PG, you might mistakenly get the impression that it's just a kid's movie. So here, submitted for your approval are Hello Movies, Seven Reasons You Should Go See Pokemon Detective Pikachu, even if you're not a kid. 
put down the stapler or I will electrocute you. Reason number one, two words. Ryan Reynolds. It's not just because he's Canadian, he's the voice of the furry, caffeine-loving Pikachu, and he seems to truly understand the little yellow guy. Detective Pikachu's got some sass. He's got some serious attitude. He's kind of a larger-than-life character, and he has to be. I mean, he looks like a little yellow cotton ball, so I'm trying to bring as much personality. He did just that, like when Tim and Pikachu interrogate Mr. Mime. Tell us what we want to know. Pipe. Yes, okay, I can. Shoving. Pushing. My problem is that I push people away and then hate them for leaving. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Okay, that's it. No, we're switching roles. I'm bad cop. You're good cop. On to reason number two. It's not just Ryan Reynolds' delightful personality. The movie's funny because there was a comedy duo working on the screenplay. The team included Dan Hernandez and Benji Samet, writing partners behind some hilarious episodes of the new One Day at a Time, as well as The Tick. As a result, Detective Pikachu is filled with quite a few funny moments. You can hear him, right? Pika Pika! Yeah! Pika Pika Pika, he's adorable. You're adorable. They can't understand me, kid. Can no one else hear him? But is this just about the laughs? No. And that brings us to reason number three. The movie's rather sweet. Sure, Pikachu and Tim are a great comedy duo, but Tim's big tragedy is that his dad is missing, and Pikachu understands. Listen, kid, I know this much. If your dad was here... He would hug you so hard, your bones would pop. In that clip, Tim has a tear running down his face when he hears that. It's really touching. Real talk, I'll always cry at anything that is soundtracked by What a Wonderful World. Anyway, no more crying. Reason number four to go see this movie even if you're not a kid... You can stop pretending you don't love Pokemon, even around your cool friends. This movie celebrates the Pokemon world. Spotted in the trailers alone, Jigglypuff, Charmander, Psyduck, Emolga, Bulbasaur, Charizard, Rufflet, Ludicolo, Squirtle. And this is the first time I've actually had to wonder if I'm saying all their names correctly. These characters have all been seen somewhere, maybe in games or in the animated show, and definitely on Pokemon trading cards. But this is their first time in live action. Now, this is what happens when you put Pikachu and Psyduck, who looks a lot like a platypus, in the back of a car together. So let me get this right. We're forced to listen to this spa music so your head doesn't explode and kill us all. Psyduck! Reason number five. If you're not well-versed in Pokemon lore or consider yourself a fan, you'll still be impressed. All the Pokemon were brought to life by the same creative teams who did the visuals for movies like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, The Jungle Book, and the upcoming remake of The Lion King. There's some awesome world-building going on and a ton of adorable, beautifully rendered characters. That means you're bound to enjoy the movie even if you walk in without a degree in Pokemonism. Pokemonology? Either way. Number six. You can invest your time safely knowing that Warner Brothers Pictures already has so much faith in their movie that they've ordered up another one. Pikachu may be starring in his own story for the first time, but he's got fans, and they're going to get even more of him. They announced the sequel back in January, four months before the movie's premiere, so that's confidence. They know popularity when they see it. Should we talk about the fact that your childhood bed is a Pikachu bed? It's a coincidence. I've never been so flattered and creeped out at the same time. Here we are, the last item on the list, reason number seven to check out Pokemon Detective Pikachu, even if you're not a kid or don't have one to bring or can't borrow one from a friend. It's Ryan Reynolds again. Honestly, though, he's such a huge part of what makes this fun, and we had to mention him twice. His co-star, Justice Smith, agrees. 
this contradiction of seeing this cute, cuddly thing have Ryan Reynolds' voice. Bingo! La cucaracha. It's incredible. <laughs> Need just a little more proof? Reynolds made an excellent parody video called Outside the Actor's Studio, which includes some great little gems about how he prepared for the role. Now, as many of you know, uh, I vanish into my roles. You know, this is a funny anecdote. I was, uh, I was on my way to pick up my daughters from school when I heard that I got the role. Well, I didn't show up at school because Detective Pikachu, he doesn't know who those two little girls are. Who are they? And the point is, my daughters, they may never see their dad again, but you can be damn sure that they're looking up at that big screen this summer and they're going to see Detective Pikachu. So are you going to go? You've got seven reasons now. Have fun. Earlier, you heard about all the remakes we're looking forward to, and I gave you a list of four movies. Three have remakes on the way, and one we just made up. Here they are again. One, Little Shop of Horrors. Two, Showgirls. Three, Masters of the Universe. And four, Sister Act. Do you know which one is the fake? If you guessed Little Shop of Horrors, guess again. That remake is being written by Greg Berlanti, the producer behind Riverdale, and all those DC superhero shows. And by the way, the 1986 campy musical with Rick Moranis was based on the play, which was itself a remake of a 1960 film by Roger Corman. Fun fact, a not-yet-famous Jack Nicholson played the masochist who loved going to the dentist, the role played by Bill Murray in the musical. You'll be a I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. All right, you can also eliminate Sister Act. Whoopi Goldberg, who starred as the nun on the run, was hoping to get a sequel to the first two, but then she found out that the plan is for a complete reboot. So she'll have a small cameo. Sorry, Whoopi. And you can rule out Masters of the Universe. Heartthrob Noah Centineo is in talks to play He-Man, which will introduce the character to a whole new generation. So that leaves Showgirls. As far as I know, no one's planning a remake of that one yet. And if you've suddenly got an urge to watch some of these originals, uh, you can find these and a lot more at the Cineplex store. That's store.cineplex.com. Have you seen Avengers Endgame yet? Just a warning, if you didn't know, it clocks in at over three hours. And if you're like me and you love drinking a giant pop and you have the bladder of a hummingbird, you will have to leave at some point to run to the bathroom during the movie. Which got us talking about this very conundrum. Our producer, Sarah, had a pretty good case for why you should get up during the movie. My best timed pee break ever was when I saw The Shape of Water at the Toronto International Film Festival. The movie was fabulous, but I couldn't sit through the whole thing, so I ran to the bathroom, and when I opened the door, the only other person in there was Sally Hawkins, the star of the show. Sally Hawkins, since The Shape of Water, I, I always think of her when I see a hard-boiled egg. Is that weird? Our writer, Lori, chimed in with her story as well. Star Wars came out in 1977. My big brother and I both had to pee so badly, but there was no way we were going to get up and leave. It was so different from anything else we'd seen before. The need to pee was so strong that we both still remember it over 40 years later. 
You've been there, though. You're all cozy in your seat. You don't want to miss anything. And you have no idea how much longer the movie will go on or how long until you pee your pants. Just me? Maybe not just me? So that brings us to our key question. How do you know when to leave for that very important bathroom break? There's an app for that. It's called Run Pee, and it tells you exactly when in the movie you should leave for a break without missing too much of the plot. Here's how it works. There's a built-in timer that alerts you with a vibration when there's a bathroom break coming. And then while you're walking back from the bathroom, you get a synopsis of what you've missed. see what they suggested for Titanic. That's another movie that clocks in over three hours long. And you know what? I like their pick. They suggest leaving when Molly Brown, played by Kathy Bates, uh, when she says, you shine up like a new penny. Because, you know, the rest of that scene is just about the snobby guests at the dinner party. In the grand scheme of Titanic events, it's pretty insignificant. It's a good scene, but definitely not important to the plot. The app, RunPee, is a family business, and the family actually came up with the idea for the app while watching the epic three-hour and seven-minute-long Peter Jackson remake of King Kong. Avengers Endgame, which came out last week, is about the same length, plus trailers. Tanner, I know you've seen Endgame since we last spoke. Be honest, did you have to go and pee during the movie? See, I went into it knowing that it was a long film. It's hair over three hours long, so I went in. It was early morning screening. I didn't do coffee that morning. You don't want to miss anything. Because trust me, having seen the film, you walk out for a second, you're going to miss a lot. That is the voice of Tanner Zipchin, the host of the Cineplex pre-show. Hey, Tanner, can we talk Endgame without spoilers? What did you think? I thought it was a really great conclusion to this uh, this chapter. It really does a nice way of tying it all together. It throws back to some of the, you know, the original films. I really can't say much. All I can say is that it's not what I thought it was going to be. Like, I had some predictions. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I might have even read, like wrote them down and buried it in a box in my backyard to see if it would come true. And uh, I was wrong on everything. Wow. Okay. Well, you are the expert in many ways. Uh, there are a lot of movies coming out in the next few weeks. Give us, give us some insider insights on, for example, The Hustle. Penny. Why are women better suited to the calm than men? Because we're used to faking it. Because no man will ever believe a woman is smarter than he is. This is a, a really cool film. This is actually a remake of uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and except we got Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson in this. And it's always cool to see, you know, different pairings and how people are going to do. So I think, I think these two, I think they've got a nice, uh, a nice chemistry together. I think, I think it's going to work out nicely. So we talked to the, the writers of, of Longshot, but you talked to uh, Charlize Theron and, uh, and Seth Rogen. I love their chemistry. Yeah, speaking of like duos together, yeah, I, I made the joke on the red carpet at CinemaCon if they're like the next, you know, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart uh, based on what we've seen in this film. And and uh, Seth Rogen assured me that this could be uh, a true fact. I feel like uh, maybe they're going to go on and do, you know, buddy cop comedies together and play all kinds of roles. So who who knows? Are you are you a Pokemon guy? Did you? Did oh you yeah, you grew up, growing up in like the nineties, you know, yeah. early two thousands. I was I was all the rage. Plus Ryan Reynolds voicing Pikachu. The first time we're actually really giving him a voice, it's a pretty good voice to give him. How about Ugly Dolls? Kelly Clarkson's starring in it. I know you've interviewed her. Mm-hmm. Please tell me she's the person she seems to be. She's such a fun person. We actually talked about the the scene in Forty Year Old Virgin where Steve Carell yells her name. Ready? Yep. One. No, Kelly Clarkson. And she told me that she didn't even know that was happening until she was in a movie and she saw it in a trailer and her friend leaned over and was like, did he just yell your name? That is one of my favorite parts of that movie in general. 
Yeah. Like, I, I mean, how can it not be? Um, okay, so here's a question. Tolkien? Tolkien? I, I used to say Tolkien, but now I'm on the Tolkien, because according to the internet, that is how you're supposed to say it. Tolkien. There you go. Tolkien. Every right. time you're about to say it, you should we'll just cut to this. Tolkien. <laughs> I don't even, we haven't even talked about the movie yet. No. I'm sorry. I apologize. But you know, how can you talk about the movie if you're going to get the name of it wrong? I mean, you get, you, get the, you get the basic hint with the name. You know, it's about his life. It's about, you know, leading up to the creation of, of the novels that, you know, really made him who he is. And you're going to gain the backstory. And I think it's a really cool story. What else is coming up so that we don't miss it? Have you seen Palms yet? What brings you to Sun Springs? Oh, I'm just here to die. Uh-huh. I was hoping you'd be a man. There's not enough erections around here as it is. What's this? You were a cheerleader. My mother was very sick, so I quit the team. Maybe you should give it another shot. Essentially, the story is it's a bunch of ladies in a retirement home that now decide to, you know, go back and relive a dream and become the cheerleaders that they've always wanted to. And Diane Keaton leads the way here. And I talked to the director on the red carpet. And according to her, uh, she did a lot of her own stunts. Uh, This is all her. So all the the choreography, all the dancing, all the moves uh, that you see in the movie. That is 100% Diane Keaton. Thanks, Tanner. We'll catch up in a couple weeks. Looking forward to it. Thanks. And that's a wrap. We'll have a new episode for you every two weeks. You can subscribe to Hello Movies for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you, post a review, or email us with comments or questions at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Elster is the writer of our podcast. Sarah Cooper is our producer. Ellie Gordon Marshall is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jun. A special shout out to Tanner Zipchin. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for checking out Hello Movies. <laughs>